Welcome to this edition of In the Author's Voice. I'm Jeff Williams. A new book takes a closer look at the life and times of Alice Roosevelt, the eldest child of President Theodore Roosevelt. Roosevelt once said that I can do one of two things. I can be President of the United States or I can control my daughter Alice. I cannot possibly do both. It's in that vein that author Shelley Fraser Mickle is out with a new book on Alice Roosevelt called White House Wild Child. I recently talked with Mickle about Alice's larger-than-life persona. When Alice was 17, her father became president. And I want you to get this moment, because I've been spent 50 years as a novelist, mm-hmm. so I can't help but paint a scene. She arrives at the train station in Washington to move into the White House. She is wearing a wine dress with a bouquet of violets tucked into her waistband. And the flowers nod and sway as she walks, <laughs> emphasizing her budding sexuality and extraordinary beauty. Right away, Alice Roosevelt became the most photographed woman in the world. In today's terms, I think she was the first Princess Diana. Mm. And also, I'm taken with this new cultural obsession with Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. So I'm comparing her to Taylor Swift in the way that Taylor influences a generation of young women to think well of themselves and to never question their self-worth. Alice lived in the day when women's names didn't appear in the newspaper except when they were getting married or were already dead. Yet Alice <laughs> could generate more newsprint than even her father. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go, no, go ahead. I, was say, I mean, some of her... As I'm reading through some of the galleys of the book, some of her, her antics in, in the White House, I, maybe they still haunt the White House. <laughs> I think they do. She was famous for those. And the reason why, I'll give you a little background. Mm-hmm. Uh, her Alice's mother died of kidney failure when Alice was only two days old. And to make matters worse, she died in Teddy Roosevelt's arms on also the same day that his mother died. Some people may not know that, but it, two deaths in one day, two funerals in one day. And a day later, Roosevelt held his daughter Alice for her baptism. But his grief was so devastating, he could neither say Alice's name nor look her in the eye. And she interpreted his silence as disapproval as she grew up. She came up with all sorts of outrageous antics to capture his attention. And then her outrageousness made her famous with everyone all around the world. And here's some of the things she did. She carried in her purse a copy of the Constitution, a dagger, and a green snake named Emily Spinach. (laughs) When her father told her she couldn't smoke under his roof, she climbed to the roof of the White House and smoked there. And what's really fascinating is she was pathologically shy. She never spoke in public but she would do all these antics that were physical and action-based. At White House garden parties, when her father entertained congressmen, she walked among them wearing her green snakeish jewelry and just loving the looks on the congressmen's faces as her snake explored the folds in her dress. You know, in the South, we would call Alice a mess, (laughs) and then we would add, bless her heart. (laughs) Is it true she used to put tacks in, in seats Oh the yeah. White House? Yeah, she would do anything to get an uproar. 
And I think it's so fascinating that she didn't do it vocally. She did it through action. And she really uh, captured the whole world's attention. And T.R. used her eventually as an ambassador. She was a decoy because anything he sent her to do, different countries, and I can get into that more detail later, but I know this is a short interview. <laughs> when he sent her as a representative of the United States, the, all the press would follow her. She became a decoy. And then T.R. could uh, create... Um, treaties and accommodations with um, countries, different countries. He practiced politics as an art, and that's one of the reasons I want people to really read this book. And especially this, because she was a living proof of the effect of a father on a daughter. Um, I know this from growing up. A woman always feels her worth through the way that her father values her. You know, a mother can say to a daughter, you are smart and beautiful, but she doesn't believe it until a man says it to her. And I don't think people realize that today, and I kind of want to open a conversation, a national conversation, of what fathers mean to daughters. Because when daughters, young girls grow up not knowing their self-worth in a man's evaluation, they make bad choices. They tend to fall in love with the first guy that uh, whispers sweet nothings to them. They go through life confused and not strong enough to stand up to the um, com- uh, the uh, uh, assaults on their character or whatever. So I'm interested in uh, having men and women read this book and discuss it together. So she, uh, Alice pushed against the her culture's boundaries and norms. And this is so fascinating to me. She couldn't vote until she was 36 years old. Mm, That's right, yeah. And when the 19th Amendment was passed, 126 million women voted in the 1920 presidential election. And what really drew me to wanting to write this uh, narrative history, because I'm raised in the Mississippi Delta, and we're products of the Faulkner influence, mm-hmm. and he always told writers, don't write about the nuclear age, write about the heart in conflict with itself, and Alice was a living proof of that. She was a terrible mother. She married the Speaker of the House, and when he played around on her, she played around on him, and she had a daughter uh, I can't say out of wedlock. She was married. It was not known at her time, but she fell in love with Senator Bill Burra from Idaho, mm-hmm. and they had a child together. And uh, Alice didn't know how to be a mother because she'd lost her mother. That's part of the point of this book. Mm-hmm. She lived a haunted childhood, and she so longed for her father's approval. He never could talk about his uh, her mother and how much he loved her mother, and that that love then came to Alice. But when Alice was 73, she underwent a transformative change. I call it enormous changes at the last minute, <laughs> which <laughs> really draws me to this book and anybody's life, actually, because it gives us hope for all of us. If we can change, if we've made mistakes, we can write them. When Alice's daughter died of a drug overdose, She stepped up and raised her granddaughter with the care and love she always wanted for herself. 
she liked to say that she should have always been a grandmother and not a mother. Hmm. Now, this is what's going to fascinate men, I think. In my research, I found every instance which Alice sat at her father's knee when he handled a crisis for the nation. Therefore, I can see him practicing politics as an art. And mm-hmm. the way he practiced it, it was like an iceberg. Most of what he did to achieve his goals for the good of the nation was under the surface. He was like Lincoln. He was a masterful politician. And T.R. called himself a moralist rather than a party man. The fact that he set aside land as national parks, he did as executive orders and then expected William Taft, who came after him, to put those executive orders into law. And when William Taft didn't, when he went back to pleasing moneyed uh, interests, T.R. came back and said, I'm going to run for a third term as the Bull Moose Party. And he always said that taking care of the earth was not a political issue, but a moral one. He was also the first president to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. You know, he's considered to be the fifth greatest president. And of course, his image is on Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. But he didn't um, shepherd America through a war. He's the only great president whom we consider great who never had to deal with a national war. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, it's important for all of us to see how this history that I've written about echoes into today because mm-hmm. we're living a lot of the same issues. Mm-hmm. And as I began to write narrative history, I was lucky enough to create a emailing friendship and uh, guidance from one of our greatest historians, Gordon Wood, and he said that um, we live with delusions until history changes us. So I've thought about that a lot. I think it's true, so I'm going to add this little quip. I've started leaving a big, fat history book, some of them by (laughs) Gordon Wood, (laughs) on my bedside table. So if I die in the middle of the night, it'll make me look good. (laughs) 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 <laughs> at at some point, you, you mentioned Roosevelt, a very astute um, political leader. At at some point, did he overcome the grief enough to show any sort of 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 parental love or approval toward well, Alice? Yeah, well, he loved her in his way, but he had a problem in the fact that he married his childhood sweetheart, Edith Caro, mm-hmm. and she was jealous of the dead wife. So it's actually a love triangle. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating, too, and would be a great book club discussion. So, um, And there's another uh, fact in here. Not many people know about T.R.'s older sister, she was the first Eleanor Roosevelt, and they nicknamed her Bammy, which is short for Bambino. And when uh, Ellen, uh, Lillian Rixey was a writer or journalist, and, and as uh, Alice was an older woman, she went to Alice and said, I'd like permission to write your biography. And Alice said, oh, don't do me, do Aunt Bammy. Mm-hmm. Because if she had been born a, a man, she would have been president. Bammy, I've had the wonderful privilege of bringing her back into the present today because she has evaporated from history. 
and she partly did that herself. She, after T.R. died, she went to, uh, got all of the letters she had written to him and crossed out her advice. She wanted to disappear because she so loved her brother. And she realized when they were children, he was an out-and-out genius. You know, he read like three books a day. He could speak several languages. She realized he was destined for greatness. And she is the one who actually engineered his whole political career. And she brought him back after that deep grief by writing him every week, all the time, stayed connected to him. And I think it's not mentioned in David McCullough's books or Edmund Morris's books about the Roosevelt's and Teddy and his grief, but I think Bammy engineered his marriage to Edith. And I've found enough uh, evidence in my research to substantiate that in my book. In fact, last week, uh, a journalist here read the book, and he knows about my work on NPR and is a novelist, and he wanted to write a feature about it. After he read the book, I think the first book after it was released, and he called me up and he said, Shelley, you made up a bunch of this, didn't you? (laughs) And I said, oh, no. If I had, the nonfiction police would come and get me. But every word and every word of dialogue is documented because I knew, being a NPR storyteller, I can make up anything. <laughs> I made up, a, I made up a fictional family that I entertained NPR listeners for for you know up to fifteen mm-hmm. years locally and nationally. So uh, I was very careful to document all of this. So I'm hoping that people will read this book, men and women together, and open up a discussion of what fathers mean to daughters and also how this history echoes into us today. And Gordon Wood, bless his heart, he (laughs) pointed out to me that we don't read history to see how it's going to repeat itself. Mm. It teaches us how we can make better decisions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want people to value this book for because we can make better decisions. Uh, The evolution of the human being is slow, (laughs) <laughs> but we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting better. Yeah. You mentioned that, that Alice kind of had this epiphany or the light bulb to kind of turned on in terms of, of motherhood when she was right. when her when her daughter died and she took you know under those tragic circumstances and 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 took responsibility and, and, and raised a, a granddaughter the way she had hoped to have been raised by her uh, by her mother. But she had all these inter, intervening years that she. She lived. Did she mellow any during that time, or was she always pushing limits of modern society? Those those antics that she did when she was growing up in her teen years, which captured everyone's attention, transferred into being mean. Mm. Uh, And she became very conservative as uh, a grown woman and got very involved in politics, said terrible things about FDR mainly because she thought FDR should not be president, but her brother, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, mm-hmm. Jr., should be president. So she went hard after FDR and accused him of his New Deal, giving the country a case of polio, which was very mean. She never had empathy or sympathy for anyone. And I address that in my book because I think that when we raise children, empathy and compassion is actually taught, if not modeled. 
and I point out in my story of her those opportunities that were missed. When Eleanor Roosevelt was orphaned, because both of her parents died, uh, Alice didn't feel any compassion for her. And because Eleanor Roosevelt's father was Teddy Roosevelt's brother, who died of alcoholism and insanity, Edith, Alice's stepmother, would never let Eleanor and Alice play together growing up. And yet they were only eight months apart. But it's fascinating family history, and if we ever have what's considered a royal family, it was the Roosevelts. And I can tell you a little bit of a fascinating thing that's not in the book, Mm -hmm. because people always wanted to know and and I want you to read the book, so I don't want to retell it. I don't want to um, ruin it for people. You need to find out how it ends. But anyway, Minnie Bullock, who was Theodore Roosevelt's mother and Bammy's mother and Alice's grandmother, was so beautiful growing up in Georgia that Theodore Roosevelt Sr. had to go see for himself. So he went all the way, rode a horse or a carriage, whatever, all the way from New York to Georgia. And in those days, a man could not approach a woman without a calling card. So when he reached the mansion in Georgia, he slipped a card under the door. And Mitty had a young black servant named Toy, T-O-Y. And Toy took that card up to Mitty and presented it to her. And that's the beginning of the Roosevelt family. That went on for generations, if you can believe that scene. And what's so amazing about that, the next layer of this, to titillate my listeners, <laughs> is that uh, Margaret Mitchell was a young journalist at the Atlanta Constitution. And Mitty's reputation as a great beauty and their great wedding to Theodore Roosevelt still lingered to where they sent Margaret Mitchell to interview Mitty's bridesmaid. They, all the people had died by then, but um, Margaret Mitchell went and listened to this woman talk about Mitty's extraordinary beauty and how she flirted, and Margaret Mitchell made Mitty her role model for creating Scarlett O'Hare. Mm-hmm. Does that make your hair stand up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it seems like a logical jump. <laughs> yeah. But when I read about Minnie, oh my gosh, the way she could flirt just like Scarlet in um, Gone with the Wind. I mean, this, the layers of this story go on and on. And uh, it's been actually one of the greatest privileges of my life to write this story and get, a, get it again into the hands of people to realize our deep history of this great nation and what we were like back then. Uh, T.R. can tell you this quick little story, because you can tell I like to create scenes. When he was um, courting Alice Hathaway Lee, who was Alice's mother who died, he was a, a student at Harvard, and he took Alice Hathaway Lee, actually because he was so close to Bammy, he thought women got a poor shaft in our culture. So he knew Bammy was smarter than he was, so he wanted to show Alice Hathaway Lee how much he thought of her to get her to agree to marry him, because she turned him down the first time he proposed. So he took her on the Harvard campus, 
and he had a club, the Porcelian, which is still very famous. And they don't allow women even to walk into the room, but here T.R. took her and uh, trying to impress her with his uh, power at Harvard. And then because uh, he'd been bullied so much as growing up because he had so many physical ailments. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. that part. Most people do. But anyway, he wanted to box because he needed to fight back to the bullies. So his father hired a former prize fighter to come teach a little awkward, skinny T.R. had a box. So when T.R. was at Harvard, he made the lightweight championship. So T.R. put Alice Hathaway Lee into the gallery to watch him box this match. And the he was in the midst of one of the rounds, and it ended, and the referee blew the whistle, and his opponent right away smacked T.R. and bloodied his nose, and the whole audience booed. And T.R. stopped, put his hands up, and said, wait, wait, he didn't hear the whistle. That's an example of extraordinary character. Mm -hmm. And that's what America fell in love with when T.R. ended politics. And one reason he did run for the assembly, not only because Bammy told him to, (laughs) (laughs) but Theodore Roosevelt tried to be the custom in head of the customs house in New York and was running for that position. And the political machine uh, blocked him. And as uh, Theodore Roosevelt, who died of senior, who died of stomach cancer at only the age of 46, told his son, T.R., to whom he was very close, he said, I worry about your children because the corruption in this nation, in this democracy, is going to make us lose it. And so T.R. decided when Bammy uh, encouraged him at the age of 26 to run for the uh, New York Assembly and to get into politics. And it turned out that T.R. loved it because he called it the bear pit. Politics was the bear pit. And he loved to fight. He loved a good row. And he especially wanted to be uh, the kind of man that other men would admire and model themselves after and he did and that's basically where fdr uh listened to tr grew up with him they were distant cousins and fdr decided he wanted to be he said tr was the most perfect man he'd ever met Hmm. isn't that fun to think about Hmm. yes certainly is I'll give you, I'll leave you with one final scene that just rivets me, gives me chills. Bammy lived to 76, Mm -hmm. and she was born with a hump on her back. And David McCullough writes in his book that he thought it was Pott's disease, and it could well have been, but I decided in my book it was a congenital malformation. So uh, when she grew old, she was in a wheelchair, And FDR, when he was in a wheelchair and decided to get back into politics, went to see Bammy. And can you imagine both of them sitting in a room together, each in a wheelchair, and they strategized and planned FDR's whole political Mm -hmm. career? Isn't that riveting? Mm. Could have been a fly on the wall in that room. Right. Yes. Mm. So uh, my point is I hope... Everybody will read this book to understand what uh, we Americans are made of and how to choose a good president, basically. You know, uh, T.R. is a great model.
Mm-hmm. I want to, you mentioned something earlier that, that, that I just kind of wanted to circle back around to how you draw some kind of comparisons to, um, you know, to, to Taylor Swift and to, if, if Alice had been born in, say, 1984 instead of 1884, would she yeah. have been as seen as controversial or as wild as she was uh, then? I think we would never tire of her antics and her wit. Um, it's hard for a woman to be comedic, but when they're good at it, and Alice was good at it, but she said toward the end of her life, if she had been born then, now, she died in 1979, mm-hmm. 1980. She said she would have aimed for the Oval Office rather than to have been the first daughter. Things had changed that much. Mm-hmm. And some of the outrageous things she said, she transferred her antics of childhood and teen years into um, ribald statements. Um, for instance, she said about Calvin Coolidge, he'd look like he'd been weaned on a pickle. And she said about Thomas Dewey, he looked like the little man on the wedding cake. And he never overcame that branding. It ruined his political career. She, Alice still held the country's fascination. Mm-hmm. And they never um, lost interest in her. Um, and she used it for all she was worth. And some of the outrageous things she said when she was 80... She had a double mastectomy, and she said, I'm the only woman going topless in Washington. She had a great wit, and she never let it go. And you can't help but love someone that witty, despite all of her problems and her meanness. When they uh, LBJ um, unveiled a statue of her father, and people ask her, what do you think? And she said, well, I don't speak in public. I'm, I specialize in meanness. But I think it's quite good. And so after he died, she protected his legacy. She fought for it tooth and nail because she loved her father so much. And uh, for the lovers of literature and reading, I will <laughs> um, offer this um, contest I decided that my job as a narrative historian was to interpret history and to write the book as if it were a novel, to use my 50 years of narrative skill. And so I use foretelling, I use uh, epiphany and denouement, all these techniques that a novelist would use to write this history as if you yourself were living it. That's author and novelist Shelley Fraser Mickle. Her new book, White House Wild Child, is a historical look at Alice Roosevelt. For this edition of In the Author's Voice, I'm Jeff Williams.